Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology within the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, Minnesota. And with me today is Dr. Joseph Yao, the Director of one of the Mayo Clinic laboratories performing high volume PCR testing for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Dr. Yao is also in charge of SARS-CoV-2 sequencing. So Dr. Yao, thank you so much for being back with us today. Thank you, Dr. Pritt, for the opportunity to join on another session of the podcast. So you've been very busy since we last spoke. Can you tell us what you've been working on since last May? I believe that's when our last podcast was. Yes, indeed. Since our last podcast with you, we've been actually working on expanding our testing capacity for molecular detection of SARS-CoV-2 to aid in the diagnosis of COVID-19. In July last year, we brought on the Hologic Aptima transcription-mediated amplification assay, which is a FDA emergency use authorized assay. And then later in late August, we brought on the Perkin-Elmer EUA assay. And then a month later in September, we had to add another assay, uh, which is the Thermo Fisher scientific EUA assay. So by that time, we had a total of four EUA assay. Uh, So the Roche, the Hologic, the Perkin-Elmer, and the Thermo Fisher. By that time, it was already the flu season So there were concern among clinicians that um, people presenting with respiratory symptoms may also have either flu A or flu B rather than COVID-19. So by that time, uh, Roche also had a combination assay for detecting SARS-CoV-2 together with influenza A and B viruses. So we brought on a combination assay on the roche cobalt 68 instrument systems. But fortunately, the demand and test volume for that combination test actually has been very, very low, and namely because there was hardly any influenza activity in uh, North America. Yeah, and it's most really recently, remarkable, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And then most recently, because of the increasing concerns and impact of uh, SARS-CoV-2 variants, we actually have been evaluating a research use only kit from Thermo Fisher for NGS detection and sequencing for detecting variants. So we actually launched that test on April 1st this year. Wow. So let's just uh, pause for a second because that's just incredible. I was losing track of all the different tests you brought up just for amplification and detection of SARS-CoV-2. So what was the total? How many assays did you end up validating just for detection of that single virus? Yeah, total of five assays. Initially, Roche, Cobalt 6800, Mm -hmm. and then the Abbott real-time M2000 assay, which was also EUA, the Hologic, the Perkin-Elmer, and Thermo Fisher, five altogether. Yeah, that's incredible. And then, of course, Dr. Binninger had his lab developed test, so we could add six to that. And then, of course, we've had some rapid point of care tests that Dr. Brad Karen implemented. So I think we were up to 10 at one point. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. 
just unprecedented that we would have so many different tests for a single virus, but it was needed. And I think it's all because of the shortages of supplies and reagents from each of those vendors that not a single vendor can provide all the necessary tests, uh, reagents and supplies for the demand. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they're working as hard as they can, but just with the national and really global demand, uh, it's hard for any one vendor to keep up. Well, it's great that your lab really played that large of a role um, and continues to in testing. And uh, how many specimens at, at the peak of the pandemic were you able to test in one day? Uh, so we actually uh, were able to test up to 30,000 specimens a day using the four assays. We eventually had to drop the Abbott real-time assay because of our sister practice in Arizona needed extra instrument. So we actually moved our M2000 instrument to them and we were able to keep up with 30,000 a day with the four assays. That is just incredible. 30,000 tests a day for a single virus. All right, well now let's move on to the new exciting news that everyone is so interested in. You just turn on the news these days and you hear about the new variants circulating and you have a test that can not just detect the virus, but now tell us what variants are out. And you said that that's just recently been launched. So can you tell us a little bit more about this test that you're using for sequencing? Yes, absolutely. So as many of you know, since uh, December 2020, there has been a lot of news and public health alerts and warning on the emergence of variants, namely the UK strain, the lineage B.1.1.7, as well as South African, the California, and the Brazil. And these have significant clinical implications on patient outcome, severity of disease, increased transmissibility, and also reportedly, at least in vitro, evidence that some of these strains are resistant to monoclonal antibody therapy, convalescent plasma treatment, and even vaccine escaped, meaning that they are not neutralized by the vaccine-induced antibodies. Uh, So there was increasing demand from our clinicians for direct patient care, not just for variant surveillance for public health purposes. So we have been in contact with Thomo Fisher Scientific, who had a research use-only panel called the Ion Ampliseq SARS-CoV-2 research panel that they have developed a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic for research purposes. And they've seen since placed this assay on a fully automated integrated sequence system called the Genexus Integrated Sequencer. So we've actually evaluated that assay in March and finally uh, validate the assay to meet CLIA requirements for direct patient care. So at the moment, the use of this assay for direct patient care by our clinicians are mainly to look at the possibility of variant infection in those who have documented completion of vaccination, either the one dose or two dose, depending on the vaccine. And then looking at specific spike protein encoding region mutations, there are some key mutations in that region that have been reported, at least in vitro, to confer resistance to the vaccine. And the second use would be uh, those who are not responding as well or expected, either monoclonal therapy or convalescent plasma therapy, 
possibly because of presence or infection with the variant strain, uh, such as the California strain mutations, the South African or the Brazil variants. Uh, those have all been reported to have varying degrees of resistance to these antibodies. So that's really interesting. Obviously, it has some clinical implications for knowing these sequence variants. How would uh, a clinician who orders this test then use the result to change how they're caring for the patient? Yeah, good question. The mutations are quite complicated. A lot of clinical information are still forthcoming in peer review publications. We are now beginning to see a few, namely on the UK B.1.1.7 variants. And in our reports, we actually provide a lineage, a clade, and the S codon mutations of interests. And we've also, on our online test catalog at mayocliniclaboratories.com, and if you search for this test, which has the test ID C-O-V-N, as in Nancy, G as in Jerry, you'll see in the test interpretation tab that there are two tables indicating the clinical implications of the lineage and also clinical implications of the S-codon mutation of interests. Uh, so for example, if you see a presence of a E484K mutations in a B.1.351, which is the South African uh, variant, it will suggest that this will have reduced neutralization by monoclonal antibody therapy and convalescent plasma therapy and certain vaccine-induced antibodies. So these are all listed in our interpretation table. It's impossible to put it in the report themselves because it would be too long. So sure. there's a URL link provided in our reports that can link to the online test catalog. I looked at that table and it's excellent. And uh, given the fact that you're going to be keeping it up to date, I think it's a great resource, even if people aren't ordering the test, just to have a really quick snapshot of the different variants and what they're associated with clinically. So we'll put a link to that in the information with this podcast. So are there other tests like this on the market for actual clinical use? I hear a lot about sequencing for epidemiologic purposes, but not so much for clinical use. But clearly, as you just described, there are clinical indications. Yes. I believe certain academic centers whose director I've been in contact have offered this test within their own institution, but not as a reference testing option for non-institutional clients. So I believe that our Mayo Clinic test is the first commercially available as a reference testing lab option for those clients who are interested in getting this test. Well, that's great. That's going to be much more widely available then. Mm -hmm. So if you had to put on your, you know, uh, future thinking hat and figure out what we're going to see on the horizon for testing, any thoughts that you'd want to share with us? We continue to learn more and more about COVID-19. We've now tackled identification and sequencing. What's next? <laughs> Hopefully it goes away, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I... As you predicted, I don't have a crystal ball. I think that this is going to become a seasonal viral infection. It will be part of many of the multiplex respiratory pathogen panel in the near future. I know in vitro diagnostic manufacturers are working on a de novo pathway to get them FDA cleared. 
so that it will come off the EUA uh, list. But I think that we will continue to have these infections. We're not going to be able to vaccinate ourselves out of the pandemic. Uh, I recently saw a, a BBC analogy of the various mitigation factors. They're like the Swiss cheese, and vaccine is just one piece of the Swiss cheese. Social distancing, masking are other pieces. So the more Swiss cheese layers we can put together, the less chance for the virus to go through the holes and make it on the other end. Yeah, that's really well said and a good analogy. Dr. Maurice and I meet on a weekly basis to have our podcast, and we've talked a lot about not just vaccines, but the continued need for social distancing, masking, washing your hands, good hygiene. We have to just keep up all of those precautions. I agree. I don't think COVID's going to disappear, and we need to work with it and really just help protect our population. Yeah. yeah. Now, talking about protecting population, what about protecting yourself too? This couldn't have been easy and this was an unprecedented year. How have you been keeping yourself healthy and uh, maintaining that healthy work-life balance? Yes, good question. It's hard. And I think that any lab director, not just in my position, I've always had the challenge of a work-life balance, a healthy work-life balance. I've been taking nature hikes with my family every weekend, uh, partly to get me more exercise and out of my chair (laughs) at home and at work. But that has been really a good experience, both breathing fresh air and seeing something that's not in front of the computer. Right. And being socially distanced from the others. So it's a safe hobby to have as well. Yes. That's great. Well, as we're wrapping up, we've covered a number of different things. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or viewers today? I think the only thing I want to share with everyone is to still maintain good vigilance and protect yourself and your family and your coworkers by practicing masking, social distancing, good hand washing. And hopefully we can get this pandemic under control. Well, thank you, Dr. Yao. Uh, It was, as always, a pleasure to speak with you today. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.